Romans chapter one, we're gonna be in verse 16 and 17. Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. Lord God, I pray that your word this morning will be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Father God, I pray that your word would pierce even the most calloused and hardened of hearts this morning. We love you and we praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, I'd like to address the elephant in the room. Um, uh, we ain't going to make Pastor Brad preach on pastor appreciation. Man, so they got, they got this big-headed white dude that's going to do that. And uh, I, am, I am super excited um, uh, to be able to do this this morning um, because with everything that is going on in our world, um, uh, I, I believe that there is a driving force that should be driving the body of Christ now more than ever before in the history of the world. We're seeing a lot of things, and I am not going to pretend to get into all that. We don't have time to unpack all the global events, but hopefully... As a child of God, you are paying attention. If you're not, you probably should be paying attention to what's going on in Israel. And uh, that is all I'm going to say about that. But here's what I know. The harvest is ready, but yet still the workers are few. And this morning, as I attempt in my assignment to put a caboose on Pastor Brad's series, Courageous, we're going to be talking about one of my favorite characters in the Bible and the task that he was given, and that is the Apostle Paul. Now, in the book of Romans, okay, I love the book of Romans, okay? The book of Romans, it's, it's rich with theological nutrients and all those other big fancy church words. It's just a good book. It's one of my favorite books. But as we get to the book of Romans, we have to understand that the book of Romans was a letter that was written while he was arrested. And so to understand why he is arrested, we have to back up a little bit. And I want to take you from Rome... We're right here in Rome, okay? Y'all got to envision. We're right here in Rome. This is where Paul is now. We're going to back up a little bit, and we're going to go straight back to Ephesus. Look at your neighbor and say, Ephesus. Ephesus is one of the, probably one of the most important cities mentioned in the New Testament. Now listen, it's not the most important, but it is so significant. Okay, Paul had around two years of ministry that existed in Ephesus. In Ephesus, we have to understand that Ephesus was the largest city in the Middle East at the known time, okay? It was the biggest. It was the jewel of the Roman Empire. We understand that Ephesus was not the capital because Rome was the capital, but Ephesus was like Rome's pride and joy, Okay, that is, Ephesus was the cultural capital of the Roman Empire. Okay, it was the largest city in the Middle East. It also rested on some of the biggest and primary trade routes of that time. This city is important. This city is important. It's the cultural center of the region. It's also the religious center of the world at this moment. 
because one of the largest cities also has one of the largest temples. In fact, it's the temple of Artemis, okay? The temple of Artemis is actually on the list of the wonders of the world. It's huge, it's magnificent, but what is Artemis? Artemis, also known as Diana, was the goddess of reproduction and fertility. Now, there are children in the room, so I'm not gonna get into what their rituals consisted of, but you can imagine that it was not pleasant. It was not wholesome. It was also, Ephesus was also the political center. A lot of important cases happened. A lot of important political events happened in the region of Ephesus. Ephesus, I want you to think of Ephesus with all that's going on. I want you to think of it as a Middle Eastern New York City. And all that goes along with it, the lights, the sounds, the promiscuity, all that goes with New York City. Yet Paul had two years of solid ministry in Ephesus. He preached the gospel in Ephesus for two years and it was the center of his missionary journeys. It is where he launched from place to place. It was his home base. Every time he went back though, he didn't go back and visit, just leave. No, he preached the gospel. And we just read in this verse that Paul was not ashamed of the gospel. In fact, Paul showed great courage preaching a gospel that was offensive to a culture. And I want to submit to you that you have to have courage to preach a gospel in this culture where the gospel is rejected. It takes courage. It's not popular. The truth is offensive to those who are comfortable in lies. The gospel requires courage. But we also read that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. You see, the word power here is the same word that we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's dunamis, which is where we get from Latin uh, lingo, we get the word dynamite. How many of y'all know that dynamite, it changes everything? If you don't believe me, if I was to take a stick of dynamite right here and light it and throw it right in the middle of y'all, things would change. Some of y'all be changed there. Some of y'all be changed there. Some of y'all be changed up there. It would change everything. And what I love about the gospel and how it changes when we look at Ephesus and we look at why Paul is arrested in the first place. We see that Paul made an impact in the hearts and lives of people but Paul also, through the power of the gospel, changed the economy of Ephesus. You see, the gospel doesn't just have the power to change people. It has the power to impact culture. It has, you want to impact your culture? Complaining isn't going to do it. Hiding is not going to do it. Being in denial is not going to do it. You want to change your culture? The gospel is the power to do so. The gospel being preached in Ephesus is the very reason why we find Paul being arrested right here in Romans chapter one. You wanna know what happened? Diana or Artemis, the goddess of fertility and reproduction. People came from all over the world, all over the known world to visit this temple and buy silver and gold trinkets that were made in the image of Artemis. Infertility was an issue in these days. Infertility plagued the known world. I don't know why. 
Uh, most people don't know why. They can attribute it to a bunch of different things. But all we know is that it was an issue because people came all over the world to come and visit the Temple of Artemis and get these little silver and gold medallions and statues that were supposed to bring them luck and bless them so that they can be fertile. But you see, when Paul comes on the scene with the gospel and people were introduced to a real Jesus, not a Hollywood Jesus, but a real Jesus who can save, deliver, redeem, and heal, they found they didn't have no need for those medallions. They didn't have no need for those silver and gold trinkets. And so, literally, the gospel began to crash the economy of Ephesus. You see, the, it has the power to change culture. And they didn't like it. They did not like it, and so they had him arrested. But Paul, being a Roman citizen, he's like, guess what? I got a trump card. I'm not having this happen here. I got to go to Rome. God is calling me to Rome. And my persecution is my ticket to Rome. My persecution is my ticket to Rome. Oh, and then we get to Romans chapter 1. It's a journey for him to get here. Okay, he didn't just, I wish he could have just teleported. It was a journey. He got, I mean, there was a lot of things that happened that I don't have time to get into. But when we pick up into Romans chapter 1, we see a lot of things in this introduction. If you have not, if you, how many of y'all, you're, you're familiar with Paul's introductions, right? If you're familiar with the letters of Paul, Paul is a master communicator. And I love Paul. Because Paul has these introductions that make you feel so good. He makes you feel so amazing about yourself. Like, I love Romans chapter one because Paul is like, I'm here to preach the gospel. The gospel is the power of love and the salvation. And his introductions are so warm and gooey. And then we get to about the middle. And he said, and then the wrath of God is revealed against all mankind. And he literally punches you in the stomach and knocks the breath out of you. Why? Because he's here to punch the devil and chew bubble gum, and Paul is all out of bubble gum. So here is Paul in Romans chapter 1. Paul has an attitude in Romans chapter 1 that is unlike any attitude I've ever seen, and I do not mean that in a negative way. Because Paul, we see in around verse 13, it's not on the screen, but if you want to just look up a few verses from our home verse, we find that Paul in his introduction, he lays some things on the table. On, on the table, He says this in verse 13. Now I would not have you unaware, brothers, that I often intended to come to you, but was prevented until now. See, he was taking advantage of the fact that he was arrested, and he's like, no, nah, I'm going to Rome. There's a work to be done in Rome. And he says that. He says this, that I might have a harvest among you also. I want you to highlight that, that I might have a harvest among you also. You see, I love the attitude of Paul because Paul, no matter where he was at, no matter what circumstances he was in, no matter what his life looked like, he had a harvest. While he was beaten and imprisoned, he had a harvest. While he was shipwrecked, there was a harvest. And now here he is arrested and going to Rome. And guess what? He said that I may have a harvest among you. Why is this attitude important? Because I think it's an attitude worthy of us reflecting. That no matter where we go, 
No matter what we do, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, what if we changed our attitude from complaining to having this attitude of, I see things are crazy right now in the world. But regardless, I'm going to preach the gospel and I'm going to have a harvest. My work may be awful. But here at my work, I'm going to have a harvest. My boss may be, may be a jerk to me sometimes, but in this place, I'm going to have a harvest. At my school, even though it's crazy and people think they're cats, I'm going to have a harvest and I will preach the gospel. Paul has got an attitude that is worthy of being reflected. It's almost like he's literally changed, been changed by the Holy Spirit and Jesus is radiating out of him. Come on, somebody, listen. Then we see in verse 15, we see in verse 15, he says, so as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. In the middle of his bondage, he has an attitude of he is ready to preach the gospel. Friends, teenagers, little children that are here, the question I have for you this morning, are you ready to preach the gospel? Are you courageous enough to stand and stare culture right in the face and say, I don't care what you say? I don't care if you think you have the final word. Listen, there is a God who is real and who is able and I will speak of him. Are you ready? That is the exact response that I was expecting. Now I take into consideration all the things that make our eyes tired, but this is an important question. Because when it comes to preaching the gospel, understand something, I am a preacher of the gospel. But I'm not a preacher of the gospel because I'm a preacher or a pastor. I am a preacher of the gospel because I am a child of God. And I would have you know that the responsibility of making sure that the gospel goes all around Woodward County does not just rest on pastor's shoulder, not just on my shoulder, but it's actually resting on all of our shoulders. You see, at the end of the day, we give, we give preachers, we put way too much on them. They're like, man, that's pastor's job. It's pastor's job to make disciples. No, it's our job. No, it's pastor's job to preach all that stuff. I just show up and give. No. No, no, no. If you, find that, if you find that in the Word of God, I will eat my iPad. It's not there, though, so don't, don't try it. Listen, listen. Preaching the gospel, it rests on all of us, but so many times the gospel is one of those churchanese words that gets thrown around, and a lot of times it's not thoroughly explained. And when it is explained, we have a problem in the Church of America where we overcomplicate things. We are so smart here in America. Come on, when it comes to the Bible, man, you don't have, I mean, you don't have to go to seminary to be a theologian. Man, you can, you can watch them YouTube preachers. You can learn anything. You want to know how I learned so much about Ephesus? Ha, I got a YouTube degree. Ha. Y'all thought, I, man, he's so smart. No, I just watch YouTube. So we have... This attitude of like, oh, I know it all. And then we have people that over-explain. Over-explain it to where the whole thing gets lost. And so the reality is our understanding of what the gospel even is, is limited. It's limited. There was a study done. 
And I, I, the numbers shock me. It was done by my healthy church. And I believe the number of people that made converts within the last year was a staggering 4% of people that preached the gospel and made converts. And that's shocking to me. In fact, it kind of hurts a little bit. And I believe that we can get up here and we can preach at you to preach the gospel. But unless we break down and understand what it is, our... uh, Our attempts are volley. We're spitting into the wind. We're doing the best we can. We're making shotgun statements. But this morning, I would like to break this down because he's telling them, I am ready to preach the gospel. I'm going to have a harvest. But I love Paul because then he goes to explain what the gospel is. So if you're taking notes, number one, the gospel, quite simply, is the power of God to salvation. Let's go back and read Romans chapter 1, 17 through 16. For, not, for I am not ashamed of this gospel. For it is, he's telling us what the gospel is. The power of God for salvation. You see, the gospel is power. We just talked about this just a second ago. How just Just talking about Jesus and telling people about Jesus is the equivalent of throwing a stick of dynamite right at culture. But remember, it takes courage to do so because culture doesn't sit there idle. No, culture wants to fight back. But the gospel is still power and it still changes things. You see, the gospel... The gospel has the supernatural power to radically change literally everything. We saw that in Ephesus, which is why Paul is in Rome right now. It didn't just change people, okay? It changed an entire culture system. People that were bound by pagan mythological worship. People who grew up and all they knew was mythology that we watch on TV now. That's all they knew. And now all of a sudden someone's saying, hey, There's only one God, and his name is Jesus, and he is here to radically change you. You want a baby from being infertile? Only my God can supply what you need. And that radically changed everything, okay? It wasn't something so sophisticated where they broke out. No, they simply said what Jesus is able to do. So in order to preach the gospel, you first have to know Jesus, who he is, and you have to be able to testify about what he can do. Because he can and will do anything and everything. Listen, he is the power of God to salvation, to radically change everything. And Paul, when he's talking about this, Paul is speaking from experience. Because Paul, in Acts chapter 9, on his Damascus Road experience, he did not just, he's not just up here spitting like he doesn't know anything. Understand, when he met Jesus, it changed everything. I mean everything. You realize Paul was a terrorist, right? Paul was, and I, I, this is not very popular, but um, when you look at how he acted um, for the church, he, he acted almost symmetrically to a lesser Hitler. Did you know, do you know how many Jews Hitler physically killed? Zero. But you know how many Jews he facilitated the killing of? Millions. Paul did not do and lift a finger towards anything, but he facilitated the killing and the arrest. Listen, Paul was a bad dude. 
And it's important that we know that Paul was a bad dude because when we understand that Paul was a bad dude, we understand how radically the gospel changes things. How God could take somebody that was so jacked up, a murderer and a terrorist like Paul, and change him into one of the biggest evangelical um, pushers in the known world, even to this day. Listen, listen, the gospel has the power to change everything. And it's not complicated. Everybody in here who has been impacted by the gospel, who has experienced the power of Jesus to say that this is who I used to be, but this is who I am now. Listen, that's the gospel. Look at who I was. Then look what Jesus did. Now look. Now look. Understand something. Atheists can't argue with your experience. Listen, experience trumps arguments. You can tell me all day long. You can give me scientific um, data. You can tell me, you, you can just make me sound like an idiot when it comes, like as you say, let me, let me put it this way. Here's what I tell teenagers. If there is a fire that is right here, and I say that fire is hot, and there is a scientist that comes up to me and is like, that fire is not hot. Here is why. And he makes me sound like a bumbling idiot. He uses all the big words. He uses all the eloquent chemical formulas of why that fire should not burn me. But how many of y'all know, if I touch that fire, it's going to be hot. And I can go up to him and I'll be like, no, man, that hurt. That's hot. And he'd be like, no, it's not. Yeah, it is because I've experienced it. And the experience trumps the argument. Listen, the gospel really is that powerful. Number two, if you're taking notes. Number two, if you're taking notes, who is the gospel for? The gospel, it says that for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. Look at your neighbor and say to every, everyone. This is what I love about the Bible because it uses words like everyone, okay? Um, us in the church in America, and I, I, I'm not just trying to put us in here on blast, but the church as a whole in America, a lot of churches only exist to the exclusivity of certain people, all right? Certain people, we have so many flavors and options of churches, all right? That hurts a little bit, but it's true. Okay, if you don't like this church, that's okay. You can go down the road and you can give to that church. If you don't like that church, you can go to this church. And we find that a lot of churches just aren't for everyone. In fact, we're guilty of saying that. And here in America, that may be true. But a lot of times that line gets blurred between churches are not, not every church is for everyone to the gospel is not for everyone. And it's a lie. Because the gospel is indeed for everyone. Every time somebody of a different color, ethnic race, social status walks into a building, the gospel is for them. It is for them. I can say that again. It is for them. The Jesus that we are harping about this morning that died for us is the same Jesus that spilled blood and died for them, for everyone. All right, so a lot of times we carry that outside of the church walls. Bless God, we only hang out with people of the same class as us. You don't have to agree, but you're still wrong. We do. We tend to flock and click into our own little social circles. And a lot of parents come up to me, and they're like, man, your youth group is so clicky. And I'm like, that's because y'all are clicky. Clicky is learned behavior. Did y'all know that? Clicks 
our learned behavior that starts somewhere, and it starts most of the time at home. And I'm not even preaching against cliques, but sometimes you're going to have to break out, you're going to have to have the courage to break outside of your clique and go to that employee that nobody likes and tell them that there is a Jesus that died for him and loves him. It takes courage. It is for everyone. Look at your other neighbor and say, other neighbor, it's for everyone. It's for everyone. Despite of, uh, listen, we, we, we don't play in our youth group. I mean, we tell them, like, you, you, you go and you approach the kids that smell bad. You go and you approach the kids that smell like marijuana. You, somehow, someway, there is a kid in every school district that is 14, year old, 14 years old and has a tattoo. Jesus died for them too. You better go tell them. Okay? Listen, it does not matter. It is for everyone. Pastor Seth, we know all this. Well, then why are we not doing it? I'm not concerned with what you know. I'm concerned with what you do. But there's a caveat to the gospel. The Bible says that yes, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone, but here's the caveat. Just because you hear it doesn't mean that you're saved. Because the Bible says this. Let's read it in Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. Believes in what? Paul is so smart. He's so sharp. Romans 9, Romans 10, 9 tells us that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. Why can we just not believe that Jesus was awesome and be good? Nah, you gotta believe the whole thing. You gotta believe the supernatural act of him dying and literally being dead for three days and God radically, supernaturally raising him from the dead. You've got to believe that aspect. Why? Because the gospel is that supernatural and it is that powerful. That God can raise the dead. That if you are dead in sin, you can be alive and Christ. Jesus is the perfect picture of that. You have to believe it. You have to believe it. The fact here, this this fact right here makes the gospel supernatural. If Jesus can be physically dead and God supernaturally resurrect him, then humanity who is lost and dead can be supernaturally brought to life in Christ. I needed to read that again for the sake of my notes. I love the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. But sometimes the gospel, it takes courage. And a lot of times, I won't get in trouble, but that's okay. Pastor Brad will be be back next week. A lot of times, what we can what we call preaching the gospel, a lot of times what we call evangelism is the fact that we have some friends in our friend group who are mad at the churches that they're at. Oh yeah, I'm going there. I got the mic. And we think that just because we're telling our friends who are mad at their church, like, come to our church. Our church is so great. It's so great. Um, We consider that preaching the gospel. And I won't be honest, that's not preaching the gospel. That's actually kind of divisive. And I'm sorry, building your church from low-hanging fruit from other, other churches isn't what Jesus had in mind. I don't know if you know this. 
If you were to take the size of every church that's in Woodward, and we got some big churches in Woodward, we got some amazing auditoriums, and we were to fill them up with lost people, did you know there'd still be troves of lost people that have never heard Jesus? Troves of people that have never heard the name of Jesus. Pastor Seth, you, y'all got a big job to do. No, we got a big job to do. It's us. It's us. The question is, do you have the courage to do it? I'm closing. I'm closing. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the story of how God took a dead man like me who was broke, busted, and disgusted, addicted, depressed, and anxious, and he raised me to life in Jesus. And the gospel is simply, if God did it for me, I have no doubt in my mind that he will do it for you. You say, you don't understand how lost I am. No, I don't think you understand how powerful my Jesus is. I don't think you understand how powerful the cross is. To say that God is not big enough to save you is to say that Jesus dying on the cross was not enough. And I'm sorry, that's not the case. That's not the case. How many of y'all can honestly testify? And you can, can I get a witness of people that can have the same story of how God absolutely changed you? Here's what I'm saying. I'm going to say something that's very harsh because a lot of us, we can be like, yes, Jesus changed me. Yes, Jesus did this for me. Some of y'all, it's happened right here in these altars. Some of y'all was at a youth group. Some of y'all was at church camp. But you see, there's this distinct pattern in Scripture. And I love Scripture because I hold everything up to the light of Scripture. Because uh, the Scripture, I believe, is the Word of God, and I believe that it is without error. But when I look at stories... Like John chapter 4. If you don't know the story of John chapter 4, I, I want you to go read it. John is one of my favorite gospels. It's about the story of the woman at the well. And how Jesus came. He went out of his way and approached this woman. One of my Baptist friends said this was the worst woman in the world. Read her mail. She was broke and lost Busted and disgusted until Jesus came and radically saved her, changed her, told her everything about her, got prophetic with her. And then I love the woman's response. The woman went back into the town where she was talked about, where she was lied on, where she was gossiped about, and began to tell them about Jesus. Come see this man who has told me everything. But I, I don't see this in Scripture where Jesus had to be like, okay, lady, why don't you go tell everybody what I did for you? You see, there was a natural response. Oh, it's a pattern in, men, in here. When you, look at, when you look at Mark chapter 5, we see the demoniac in Gadara. How, God, how Jesus delivered the, de the demons out of him, the legion of demons, and he couldn't help it. He had to go tell everybody. Had to go tell everybody. We see it again with Mary at the empty tomb. Nobody was there to go tell her. Listen, they just went. I love this. The lame man in Acts chapter 3. Let's get a little New Testament in church age right here. The lame man in Acts chapter 3. When, when um, Peter and John were at the temple, they lifted, uh, they picked the lame man up. Y'all caught that, right? There's a man that had never used his legs before, didn't know what legs felt like, knows what they looked like, because he probably looked at them a lot, like, man, I wish y'all worked. 
It'd be a lot easier and a lot less awkward. He didn't know what they felt like. He didn't know what was going on. And then Peter and John picked up a lame man. Like, y'all understand that that's crazy, right? That's crazy, okay? That's the, that's the equivalent of just walking up to somebody in a wheelchair and be like, stand up, let's go. Okay, you're like, man, you can't afford to be wrong. And they weren't. And this man who did not know what his legs felt like, he didn't know what his feet felt like, all of a sudden was restored 100%. And he started dancing. He started jumping. He started leaping. And he jumped, danced, and jumped right into the temple. And what did he do? He said, he told everybody, look what the Lord had. To, look what's going on. What are you saying, Pastor Seth? I'm saying that there is a natural response when Jesus does something in you. There's a natural response that should exist to where you go and tell people about what Jesus did. But what happened? Why is that not the response? Why do pastors have to stand up in the pulpits and preach messages like this and say, listen, you got to go tell everybody what happened? We can blame it on a lot of things. We can blame it on how social media has made us the most socially awkward generation. How this world has created, this culture has created more introverts than anything else. We can talk about the enemy and how he's, he's come in and he's, he's caused all this thing. But I have to believe that my Jesus and the gospel is powerful than all of the excuses. I have to believe that. Why in the world... Do we think it's okay as a child of God to not preach the gospel in freedom while Paul preached the gospel in bondage? Why? Why do we think it's okay? Who do we think we are to keep the message of Jesus to ourselves? Who do we think we are that we can just bump shoulders with everybody and be like, I don't have time. I got to go. I'm in a hurry. I only got 15 minutes for lunch while they got an eternity to burn in hell. I don't know who we think we are, but I know who God has called us to be. And I'm saying it's about time that born again child of, children of God quit wearing the title and start acting like it. Courage. It takes courage. The gospel is offensive. You know good and well. You know good and well if I took a stick of dynamite and I threw it at your feet, you'd be offended. Why'd you throw that piece of dynamite into my feet? Don't you know I got things to do? I don't have time to blow up. Don't you know I ain't got time for this, man? This is going to ruin everything. This is going to ruin my walls. This is going to ruin my clothes. This is going to ruin my legs, okay? Listen, you would be offended, but it would change everything. The gospel in and of itself is offensive, but it changes everything. In a world where it's not popular, in a world that hates it, you got to have courage. You got to be bold. I would venture to say this, you got to have the Holy Spirit. When we look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the whole, the one of the purpose, two, twofold purposes of the Holy Spirit that I read. Number one, it helps you live holy. That's not a bad word. That's a Bible word. Nobody likes to talk about holiness, but it's true. And number two is to empower you to do just this. To throw that stick of dynamite and say, I'm here to change everything. Woo, stand up to your feet this, this morning.